The creaking ship rose and fell in massive swells, with waves as high as ten men stacked on top of each other. Blistering Antarctic winds seemed determined to prevent anyone from rounding the cursed Cape Horn. It had been months since any of the crew had seen their families, eaten fresh food or tasted anything but seawater every time they opened their mouths. And yet they remained determined to explore places that had never been mapped, encountering people and animals that no European had ever seen. At the helm, undaunted by rain, wind, sun and sea, was Captain Cook. More legend than man. So two famous fictional characters come from the person that we're about to discuss with you. In this episode of Blind History, we look at James Cook. And the two fictional characters I'm talking about are Captain James Hook from Peter Pan and Captain James Cook from the Starship Enterprise, Star Trek, both of whom are kind of composite characters of the original Captain James Cook, famously the man who navigated, made maps, uh, captained a, a, a military vessel and later on exploratory and adventurous vessels, um, discovered, in inverted commas, New Zealand and Australia traveled the whole of the Pacific Ocean, Hawaii, um, mapped parts of Newfoundland and Canada, um, explored the St. Lawrence River and estuary, really made an incredible mark on discovery and on seafaring. And peacefully changed the map of the world more than any other person. Phenomenal. They were, they were using his maps up to 200 years after yeah. his death, apparently. So Captain James Cook is the subject of our discussion. And this episode, of course, as with all of the episodes, it's a great pleasure to sit here and talk with another history geek, Anthony Meadera. Uh, we've got so much to talk about with this guy. Um, what an interesting dude. I mean, really, started off, nobody really would have thought much of him. His father was a farmer, I think. And he saw some action in the Royal Navy as a young man, as a teenager. Remember, they used to join at like 11 mm. years old. You'd go into the Navy and you'd be, you know, a servant, basically, to one of the officers. And that's how you'd learn. Yeah. It's difficult, I suppose, when we're sitting here today, but probably in uh, likened to, to traveling to Mars would be, in those days, there's so many unconquered. I mean, the mentality of trying to discover. and yeah. Well, I don't even think comparing it to Mars is fair because we've even seen what Mars looks like. True. Before we get there. Mm. Uh, whereas this was not possible. They didn't know how big the world yeah. was. They didn't know how far we were from the sun. It was largely thanks to James Cook and the expedition to Tahiti that they managed to figure out what one astronomical unit, in other words, distance from the sun to the earth actually was by measuring Venus as it crossed mm. between the sun and earth. Yeah. This is how they figured out how far we were from the sun. Yeah, it's and incredible. And, and, and with a scientific mind. So, mm. um, you know, often you would get the, the, the explorers, but to have what he had so he could describe things scientifically, he gave more from his voyages than any other person in history in terms of flora, fauna, scientific stars, mm. galactic, all those things. Absolutely. And, and the fact that he, uh, surveying each of area, you know, surveying uh, New Zealand, like you said, rightly so. It wasn't long ago that they, that they improved on it, but just recently, I mean, he was so, so accurate in what he did. He also, at that point, 
up to that point traveled further south than any other recorded person. Yeah. Looking um, for the continent Australis. Yeah. They were the famous southern continent yeah. because they looked at the map of the earth and they said, well, how come all these continents are based on the top? There must be a big one at the bottom to mm. counterbalance. Um, you know, there, there is, it's called Antarctica, but mm. it's buried under ice. Yeah. And it would have been impossible in those ships. He was clever enough to know. You go too far south, you can mm. get trapped in the ice, and mm. then you're going to die because there's no supplies. Or you're going to uh, end up freezing to death just because it's so bloody cold down yeah. there. There's, there's no way through. So this guy really is something else. Um, he started off obviously being a, a naval military man and learned the ropes very quickly. He was very quickly promoted, as I mentioned earlier, was given a job early on to map Newfoundland which took him, I think, five years. But he left such detailed maps that even now people are blown away. But Gareth, just before I got to the Navy side, um, uh, there's a very, very important point on his sea, seamanship. seamanship. There was a very import, important point early on. So so as you'd mentioned before, son of a farmer from Scotland, basically very poor, but but he was an apprentice, finally got to the ships, mm-hmm. and he was uh, to, to the merchant ships. Mm-hmm. And... These ships were called barks, which is basically very tough, seaworthy, stout ships and slow, 300 to 400 tons, big ships. But the North Sea has always been known as a vicious place. Mm. And he sailed these barks up and down the, uh, along that coast, and it was treacherous, untracked and treacherous. There wasn't a sea in the world that was going to test him that these uh, seas taught him. And that that helped him massively later on, as you rightly said. He chose the Royal Navy instead of, he, he really had a career mapped out for him on these barks. He would have done very, very well considering where he came from, but he went back. He, he was happy to go backwards to, to become an able seaman again in the Royal Navy because he wanted to experience more and see what was out there. And his poor wife, he, he married, um, Elizabeth Bates, Elizabeth Bats. Um, and, and she was, um, she was loyal to him and he was loyal to her. Unlike most other guys in the Navy who had a woman in every port, mm. Captain Cook actually was loyal to his wife for all of their lives. Um, and um, they did have six children, but I think she spent a lot of time on her own. Yeah, she had more, more than half in the marriage. But sadly, or I don't know how you say it, but she outlived six of them. In other words, uh, him and six, five oh, sorry, kids. Yeah, no, no, there were six children. So yeah, she outlived seven of them. Oh, wow. She outlived him, James Cook, plus all six of the children. Wow. How hectic is that, Sam? Yeah, all of his children died before having children of their own. So yeah. there are no descendants of Captain James Cook anywhere in the world either. So he went famously, and we're going to skip ahead here, to when he was commissioned to do the scientific voyage into the Pacific, where they wanted to monitor the crossing of Venus, the transit um, from Tahiti, which he then led. And on this ship was was famously a guy who he had a bit of a struggle with in terms of who was in charge. Um, it, it turned out that this other guy, uh, whose name escapes me for the moment, but this guy in the HMS Endeavor thought he could be the captain because he was of higher social class than, than Cook. But he spent most of the time in his cabin vomiting because he got mm. seasick. And also two guys who he sent on to a, a, a a piece of land near Cape Horn on the on the South American coast, 
died uh, of cold. Mm. And after that, this guy's authority was completely shot. So it was definitely Captain Cook at that point. Sadly, Gareth, they, that's something that played out and was the, the class, class rankings um, were still very, uh, oh, yeah. very strong. So Joseph Banks, that's the that, guy. So he never really got to be made captain. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, could have been the second voyage or the yeah. third voyage. But people saw how good he was. So it was very, very unusual. So he was, he was, um, in the Royal Navy and he was surveying and tracking, as you rightly said, the St. Lawrence River in Canada. And at the time he, he observed the eclipse of the sun mm. and he, he described it in great detail to the Royal Society. They were blown away. This was extremely unusual for somebody like that, somebody on the ships to do that for them. So they straight away said, hang on, this is the guy to go on to this voyage that you mentioned to track Venus. And, mm. and to go on this massive expedition. Now, he made use of this expedition to look for the southern continent, which was obviously something that the Earl of Sandwich, who was their chief benefactor, who was paying for the voyage, was quite interested in doing. And he decided while he was down there to go as far as he could south. He was obviously stopped eventually by ice. They didn't even know at that point that salt water could ever freeze. So they realized how cold it was, and he said, look, guys, we can't go much further than this. But famously, they also then did a little tour of the Pacific, and it started really um, when he sailed to New Zealand and Australia, um, discovered, in inverted commas, Australia. And this was really, really interesting because up to then, there'd been no Europeans in that part mm -hmm. of the world. And I don't think Europeans even knew Australia existed at that point. And he managed to land in Botany Bay famously, and they stayed there for a couple of days, collected water, timber, fodder, botanical specimens. They explored the surrounding area, discovered the original Aboriginal Australians and that's at that point. They, he decided to call it Botany Bay uh, that's right. because of uh, what they found there. Right, because they were, they were collecting yeah. botanical specimens, effectively. And um, he named several places. I mean, probably hundreds of places all over the world. And actually, they've got a replica of the Endeavour in Queensland Harbour right now, which you can still see, which is an exact replica of the of the ship that was basically beached there for, for a couple of weeks. Oh, because he hit, he hit the Great Barrier Reef, so he needed to repair it. That's correct. And they called it Cooktown. Is that Cooktown still around? Or is it is. Yeah. That's amazing. It still is. Um, so again, you mentioned the Barrier Reef. Part of his job here was to draw these detailed maps so that people who came afterwards could avoid things like the Barrier Reef, which would have scuppered many a ship, and so that they could find their way around. There were places that were completely undiscovered at that point, um, places like Hawaii. You know, he turned north on a, on a later voyage and discovered Hawaii. And he called it the Sandwich Islands after the, the, after Earl, of Sandwich. the Earl of Sandwich. That's right. So, I mean, there are loads of famous and probably very – exciting adventures that we don't want to gloss over here. I mean, it's like a Robert Louis Stevenson novel, you know, Robinson Crusoe type thing, where you just, all these incredible people that he discovered, the the people of the Melanesian islands, of the Polynesian islands, the Maoris, and some fascinating and quite scary stories too. There were lots of people who died of malaria. There were people who managed to make it through. He, he famously figured out that scurvy, which was the biggest problem. This is one of his big things. I mean, this was before he, and he's not a scientist or a doctor. He discovered that if you gave your sailors a diet of sauerkraut and lots of fresh citrus 
they wouldn't die of scurvy. Upper band. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, and they wouldn't die of scurvy. And this was a big deal. And on a later expedition where there were two ships, the captain of the other ship didn't follow his very explicit instructions about what they should eat and lost a lot of his crew. Mm. And this predates the Royal Navy putting into the regimented rules that these kinds of foods needed to be eaten. And so cleanliness, was, ventilation, absolutely. all of those things. He was really forward in his thinking, yeah. way, way beyond what most people at that time were. 100%. And then he was promoted when he went back to England. He was promoted to, to commander mm-hmm. and he was presented to King George III. Then he was he went back and I think this is where he found the Sandwich Islands, which is Hawaii. He charted Tonga, um, mm-hmm. the Easter Islands. He discovered New Caledonia. That's right. Um, and then, you know, finally put this whole thing to bed that Australia and New Zealand are separate and they're not joined to any massive continent. So there was none of that anymore. And that was now finally, you know, something. It was a that, big controversy. hundred percent right. Yes. So eventually he decided, look, I think I'm going to go back now. He was given a, a rank, an honorary rank. He was put in charge of the Greenwich Hospital, which you actually went and visited as well. Correct. Yes. Um, which was a place where old sailors went to retire. And he probably would have stopped there and then and was quite happy to actually just chill. But there was this big move to discover the Northwest Mm. Passage, which was supposedly a way to get from the Pacific to the Atlantic via northern Canada. And this was what George III offered £20,000. They offered £20,000, which in today's money is like 50 million rand, Mm. to, to figure out how to get across there. And this was too much for anybody, including Captain Cook, to say, oh, well, I don't want that money. So he decided, let's go. And he started off going east and made his way north towards California. On the way, he discovered the Hawaiian Islands again. And things were uh, getting a bit difficult, let's say, in the Hawaiian Islands because there were all these 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 people who lived there who kept stealing from him. They'd steal mm-hmm. longboats. They'd steal supplies they'd steal equipment um and he was getting annoyed with this so he would usually punish them by kidnapping a chief and then um they would ransom the chief by getting the stuff back he'd say if you want your chief back give me my stuff back and uh, this carried on for a long time so eventually these guys were happy to see him go he tried to go up through alaska mapped the coast of alaska um, in the bering straits and then realized there was no northwest passage but maybe he could come back when it was summer then some of the ice would have melted and maybe he could try and make his way through. And, and sorry, the, this is one of his great strengths. Many, many discoverers, they, they would head back to, to at the time, continental Europe, whoever they were, but he pushed on. So in all his voyages, um, I think he was gone north of two years. Some of them, they were yeah, three year Absolutely. Past, and he was relentless in, in terms of, he was a genuine discoverer. That's exactly right. And it's interesting that he decided instead of going back to Europe at this point to go back to, the Hawaiian Islands, um, where he had already kind of upset the locals. Uh, they weren't happy with him. He landed on the, the largest island, and uh, it coincided with a festival that they were having, um, a harvest festival. And coincidentally, the ship that he was on, the HMS Resolution, had lost its foremast, I think, and he needed then to have that replaced. So they went to the island tried to find some trees. Him and his crew had already pissed off the people of the island sufficiently. And 
these Hawaiians were not thrilled that he and his men were now starting to like cut down trees and interrupt their harvest festival and all the rest of it. So they became quite aggressive. They stole a boat and he decided he was going to do what he'd done before, which is to kidnap the chief. So the chief came along because he thought, oh, well, he's just going to be a guest on the ship because this had happened before. But slowly the word spread that he was actually being kidnapped and more and more Warriors and other chiefs on the island started to come out of the jungle and they started to follow Cook down to the beach. Now, at this point, you would think you should have looked around and gone, okay, I'm going to be outnumbered here. I need to just quietly get back to my ship. But he had become a little bit high on his own supply and he'd started to believe that he was immortal, you know, and he had been worshipped by some of the people on some of these islands. So maybe he did think he was immortal. Mm. Either way, by the time he realized what was going on, it was too late. There'd been a bit of a fight that had broken out. I think 12 of the Hawaiians were killed. About four of the Marines were killed. And he was in the middle of this. And I think these guys just decided it's enough. Mm, they killed him. Well, they stabbed him and stabbed him and stabbed him and passed the knife around until everyone had had a go at stabbing him. So he was dead long before they stopped stabbing yeah. him. But either way... They then didn't stop at that. They decided to then make a pit, a fire pit, and put his body in it and burn it. Um, <laughs> they say, they being the, the sailors who were with him, they say that the four, four of the chiefs ate his heart so that they could absorb mm. his strength and his power. Um, so there was cannibalism here. Um, he, was, he was disemboweled, obviously. Um, the only parts that they managed to find of his body were a bit of his skull and his hands. And then I think they took those and tried to bury them somewhere at sea. And there's obliques now where that all happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that you a, can go and see in his, I suppose. Yeah. Man. I mean, there's, there's a memorial. I think there's mm. a, there's a little marker in the, yeah. in the shoreline where they suppose that all of this happened, but that was the end of the great captain yeah. cook, you know, eaten. Um, Are they Hawaiians? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you find paradise and sometimes it's just not what you expect. Yeah, he cooked his goose. <laughs> uh, it's just funny that someone called Cook should be eaten. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe that's a little bit of, of, of irony. But if yeah. you look at the map of all of his routes, it's absolutely incredible how far this man traveled. He pretty much explored every corner of the globe and at that point, every corner of the unexplored globe. So his legacy lives on. And, and he set tremendous. new standards, Gareth. I mean, in discovery and seamanship, to your point. And also in navigation, in cartography. And other thing as well is that, that, uh, the care of his men, you know, and, mm. uh, the amount of people that he lost to scurvy, I think was negligible. I think there was one person on, on one of his voyages. And also the, his relations, you know, just after your story, maybe it didn't sound so great, but his relations with, with the indigenous people that he came across was always friendly. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. yeah so it was mostly friendly and, and, uh, and you can see in the legacy. I mean, there's so many. Cooks. He only became very belligerent much, much later. Um, mm. I think towards the end of that third voyage, he just was a bit pissed off. Yeah, they, and, and some people said he might have had a mental, a uh, little bit of a mental disease or something like that because mm. that last, the last voyage he was quite different. But interestingly enough, NASA have used the names of his ships to name their shuttles. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's absolutely Endeavor, right. Endeavour, the Discovery. So, so obviously I mentioned some of the places that have been named after him, but the Cook Islands, Cook Strait, the Cook Inlet, Cook Crater on the Moon. Mount Cook is the highest summit in New Zealand, named after him. 
is that uh, uh, 104 meters up? <laughs> There's another Mount Cook on the border between Alaska and Canada, which is also named after him. And um, they're planning actually to build a big monument for his landing place in Botany Bay which, uh, you know, the Australians mm. uh, regard him very highly. Of course, there's also controversy because a number of countries have said that they don't want to commemorate him too much because of the way he treated the locals. Although his contributions far outweigh any of the criticism mm. that, uh, that you could possibly give to him. But he was, he was really one of the best examples of the Age of Enlightenment. Yeah. If you think about it, combining qualities of a scientist with the qualities of a sailor and helping so many different things to be discovered, to be written into the annals of history, to be recorded and documented early on. It was it was pretty much the age of discovery. Yeah, and opening, up, opening up the world. Was at the forefront of it. Yeah, it's incredible. Agreed. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History. Every episode is available on the Cliff Central app, cliffcentral.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, he got together with Joan of Arc, and from about 1427 until about 1435, he was the commander of the French army, and he managed to repel the English. And it wasn't just England, it was the Burgundians as well, and he was eventually appointed Marshal of France. 